Welcome listeners to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. I'm your host for today, Joe Suarez. Kara North could not be with us. Uh, she's double booked, but that's okay because we have a very special guest that we're going to interview today. His name is Matthew Conover. Matthew is VP of Strategy and Business Development at Ability, an experiential learning company based in Austin, Texas. And he's also the host of the Learn to Lead podcast. So welcome, Matthew, to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always great to talk to another podcaster. I'm curious to know more about your role at Ability and your podcast, but why don't we start with you just telling us about yourself and your journey to where you are today? Great. Well, I actually joined Ability about three years ago. In prior roles, I did everything from financial technology all the way to consultative services. So I actually started my career, spent almost eight years at Deloitte Consulting in an internal finance and project management role for them. And the actual through line to being somebody who's now in the world of learning and development is one of my last projects at Deloitte was to help redesign our onboarding training for our new campus hires. And it was without a doubt, one of the most rewarding projects that I ever pursued with Deloitte. And I think it left a, a kernel of interest in the back of my head to someday get into learning and development. And I feel very lucky that I made that decision uh, a little over two years ago. Great. So I'm guessing that we'll be mentioning leadership quite a few times today. So just to level set, how would you define leadership? A lot of what I love about my role is we get to interact with some pretty incredible and innovative companies who come to us and are looking to develop their rising leaders and the leaders of tomorrow. And I think the thing that I align with a lot of our clients on is what they're looking for is a leader who can build consensus across the organization can operate cross-functionally and can lead people and lead the business. And I think what we hear time and time again is leadership is about balance and leadership is about inspiring people towards a vision, but also being able to balance all of the competing priorities and help move our organization or any organization forward. Yeah, that piece about establishing a vision and communicating that vision is key. And then it's also you need to get everybody on board to that vision as well. And, and maybe in that process, get some insight into how feasible or not the vision actually is and maybe uh, adjust course along the way. I couldn't agree more. I think we're obviously talking during an unbelievable tumultuous time as everybody's trying to figure out what the future of work is, what this new normal is going to be, how long it will last. And one of the things that's become abundantly clear to our organization is only about 25% of the training events that we did in a pre-COVID world were fully virtual. The vast majority of our clients preferred or chose to do in-classroom experiences. And the thing we're hearing from clients time and time again now is not just out of an abundance of necessity, but also out of an abundance of wanting to train people in the way they think they're going to be working in the future. People are leaning into virtual training with an intensity that we did not expect. And it's been really fascinating to hear how both participants and organizers are looking for leadership training to meet people where they are, which right now is virtual remote work and remote leadership. 
Right. Yeah. This it's definitely a lot of change that has been thrust upon the world, but in hindsight, it's kind of where things were headed anyway. So uh, in many ways, it's uh, moved us forward faster than maybe we were anticipating. I couldn't agree more. It, it, feels in many ways as though COVID is a little bit more of an accelerant than a change agent. These were things that our organization were maybe planning to be three, five, seven years down the line, uh, a shift to a majority of training being done virtual. That happened in maybe a five to 15 day period in March of this year. And thankfully we were somewhat prepared for it. And I have just been blown away by how our clients and our partners in the learning and development industry focused on participant safety first and foremost, and then making sure that the learning objectives were met even when we couldn't get together in the same room. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere that you say that leadership is a process. And I thought that was an interesting perspective, and I was hoping that you could elaborate on that a little bit for us. One thing that has been always interesting to me since I've joined Ability is many of our trainings are with individuals who are at the upper echelon of the corporate world. These are senior directors, senior executives, but a good portion of the training we do are rising leaders, new managers. And what I find is that for both of these groups, even though they're somewhat distinct, leadership is a process for all of them. For some of the individuals who are more senior in their career, a lot of the work that we do is team-based training and it's somewhat reflective. They're taking what's happening in the simulation and then reflecting back on their careers and being both critical and constructive about the type of leader they are and the type of leader they hope to be. For the individuals who are more junior in their career and are maybe just starting their leadership journey, it still is a process, but a lot of it is proactive. You're in the simulation, you're competing, you're managing a virtual team, you're building a virtual business, and you're thinking during the reflective and debrief pieces, what type of leader do I want to be? What type of leader am I showing up as? And given that this is an opportunity for some real world practice, what type of leader do I want to try to be? I, I talk frequently about the fact that one of the things that I love about simulation-based learning is in many instances, you can't try to be a new leader in the real world because you'd be trying things with real humans. And there's a fear that if you go the wrong way or you don't approach it in the strongest manner, the mistake is, is real and it could have real ramifications. Whereas when you're in a training, you get to push your comfortable limits a little bit and you get to try something that maybe you would never consider trying if there were real stakes at hand. So I think about leadership as a process because I think no matter what part of our career we're at, we all have learning and a journey to jump onto. Thank you for elaborating on that. And I also think that it's like an iterative process. And, and I think you hit on that a bit. As a leader, you're you're doing some type of action and then you're seeing the response of that action and you're getting feedback often in real time. Other times it, you have to wait a little bit down the road to get that feedback. And then hopefully a good leader will then incorporate that feedback into how they perform in the future. And then slowly over time, they get better and better. And that's probably what separates the junior from the, the more advanced leader. Would you agree with that? I would. We, we frequently think that what we're trying to do in any sort of training event is to drive achievement 
So you actually achieve the learning objective that the training is out to accomplish, but you also are driving personal development. You're growing every time you're thinking, every time you're training, every time you're participating in an action. And the huge part of that that you hit on is the reflective piece, not just the doing of the training, not just the completing of the simulation or the event, it's the completing of it and then looking back and reflecting on your performance and what it tells you about what you should maybe lean more into and potentially look to change going forward. Now you've mentioned these simulation training events several times, and I know you've hosted many of these really around the world at this point. Can you just walk us through what a typical simulation might look like and then what the intended outcome of those is? Yeah, so one of the three core focus areas that we have with our simulations is strategic intelligence and decision making. So we actually have two simulations in that bucket. And if I could paint the picture for your listeners, we would have a group of anywhere between 10 to 24 individuals. We would actually break them up into four or five teams. And this is a team-based, technologically driven simulation. So in the virtual classroom, if you and I were teammates, we would actually be in the main classroom and then we would be in a breakout room. And the game is actually built for us to build a business from the ground up. So we get a budget. We get virtual resources who can bring our products to market. We get a product portfolio that we can bring to market. We get marketing campaigns that we can run. We get enhancements that we can make in our R&D department. And the game is built so that you can't be all things to all people. And the game is a dynamic marketplace. So if you and I are teammates and we make a decision to drop the price on our product, or if we make the decision to roll out a new marketing campaign, that actually affects the market that the other teams are selling into. So that's why it's a time-sensitive, team-based, synchronous event. The other thing that's probably the most vital is the game has an external event engine. So you and I are teammates. We're getting really comfortable. Our product is rolling off. We're adding enhancements. We're rolling out marketing campaigns. And then you as the CEO get an email about an impending weather event. And it has an impact on one of our production facilities. But you don't know this that somebody else on our team got a different email with different pertinent pieces of information. So while the clock is ticking down, you and I need to disseminate and share information cross-functionally. And then as the clock is ticking down, we need to make a decision as a team. So you can kind of see that a big component of the debriefs is looking back at how your team actually shared information how you stopped when you needed to stop and shared the information, how you made the decision, and then how you owned the implications of the decision. So what we've tried to do is build a simulation engine that reflects what a lot of us face in the real world. We need to get our teammates collaborating. We have time pressure. We have emails that we have to respond to. We have inputs that we need to make. And we as a team need to collectively move our organization forward. So that's just a small snippet of, of one of our simulations and how we kind of try to leverage experiential learning to get at some pretty specific learning objectives. That's really interesting. So there's a whole bunch of different variables and key factors that people need to bring together. And if they don't, then things don't pan out the way they, they potentially could. Is there some type of debrief at the end where you get to kind of walk people through how they performed and, and talk about how they could have done things differently, going back to that reflection piece that we were talking about earlier? 
Exactly. So each of our simulations has multiple timed quarters or months. So simulated business quarters or simulated business months. At the end of each month or quarter, your decisions are locked and the facilitator would actually bring you back into the main classroom. And there's two things that happen most frequently in the main classroom. One is a look at the report. So the game is constantly calculating how each team is doing and the facilitator actually goes through those reports. And then there are different debrief topics. So one of the topics might be decision-making during periods of ambiguity. One of the topics might be cross-functional collaboration under time pressure. And so we'll actually go around the virtual room and talk to each team and figure out how they moved forward on their decision-making path. Or we'll ask probing questions about how what's going on in the simulation ties back to something that maybe they're struggling with in their real world. So the simulation in many ways is a sandbox to try to uncover things that might reflect their leadership style in the real world or the organizational challenges that they're facing. And, and that's what we really try to focus on. That's really interesting. What would you say, having gone through many simulations now, what would you say are some reoccurring themes when it comes to decision-making that you could give some advice on for people that are either looking to become leaders or are existing leaders? One of my um, favorite things to talk about is some of the different decision-making frameworks that exist out there. And I'll, I'll pull one out um, to share that, that I talk about sometimes when I facilitate. And it's actually what I kind of refer to as the press release method. And it comes from some reading that I've done about how Amazon makes decisions. So before a team at Amazon actually creates a new product or before they approve a new website feature, for example, individuals or teams are actually required to write up a fictitious press release of the quote unquote finished product. And the idea is to focus on how the customer will feel and react to hearing about a new product. The thing that you have to realize is that in order to write the idealized press release, you have to consider what could go wrong and you have to get in the mind of the end consumer. And I think that's what I see frequently in the simulation. Leaders, when they're thrown into conditions of ambiguity and they have a time constraint on them, it's sometimes very difficult to think about what the end result is going to be or how this is going to impact your stakeholders. And it's really important to get in a decision-making mindset where you're considering all options. And as a result, you're a little more prepared to tackle the unforeseen thing. So I talk a lot about you have to think about what end state you're going for and approach every decision with that lens in mind. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. So tell us about your podcast, the Learn to Lead podcast. Well, I have to say I'm by my very nature, a massive podcast fan. I, I think the medium is a really interesting way to hear from people across a variety of different topics. Earlier this year, our organization had been asked by a lot of our partners, clients, and some of the individuals on our team to actually roll out a, a podcast. And we called it Learn to Lead, and we talked about it as something we wanted to get in front of people who were writing about the topic of leadership. 
people who were leaders themselves, people who were in a variety of different industries. We've actually had the pleasure of talking to a musician. We've had the pleasure of talking to a cartoonist for The New Yorker. We've had the pleasure of talking with somebody who actually leads a decision-making institute at Harvard University. And my goal in the interview process is to say, one, tell me about your leadership origin story. How did you get to where you are and what do you wish you knew when you were starting out? But secondarily, I really want to focus on the topic of leadership is so broad. And I think the people who have been very successful key on a certain few areas in their own life where they try to focus. And that's the process. It's a journey. It's never done, but it's something that you always want to be improving along the way. So I have found it to be an unbelievably exciting and something that I've learned a lot from. And, and we've been really happy um, with the response thus far. Yeah, I listened to a couple episodes in, in preparation for this interview, and I can see just from the, the list of episodes that you have that you talk to various folks in all different kind of walks of life when it comes to leadership. And I hear that you've actually recorded an episode with Kara. Is that correct? It is. I am really fascinated by the work that both of you are doing, and I think in the age that we're in now, considering what the future of work, the future of learning will be is something that's top of mind for all of us. And she was an unbelievably en engaging guest. So I would definitely recommend to your listeners when that when that show goes live to, to check it out. Excellent. Yeah, I, I recommend that as well. Kara is always fun to listen to. You can always get some good insights from her. So we'll put a link to your podcast in the show notes for this episode that people can find at our website, instructionalredesign.com. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Matthew. If people want to connect with you, where can they do that? I really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed the conversation on, as well. The best place to reach me would be on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm at Matthew Confer there. You mentioned the podcast. And I also had the pleasure of speaking at the TEDx conference uh, last year, a uh, talk specifically focused on the, a decision-making framework that our company has actually put together. And that talk is called Before You Decide, Three Steps to Better Decision-Making. So I would welcome your listeners, if they're interested in the topic of decision-making, to check that out and find me on social media. I would love to hear more about their experience. I will have to check those out as well. And I will put a link to the show notes for each of those links that you mentioned. So people that want to can connect with you and watch those videos. Well, thank you again so much for being on the Instructional Redesign Podcast, Matthew. Thanks so much. Bye.